Good morning. Let's grab our Bible. Is your Bible? You can find one in the pew if you need it. Uh, head over to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be starting in verse 37 today. Now, many throughout history have posed the question uh, at each stage in the history of the church. What, what is the biggest danger to the church in our age? Right. Um, and, and you begin to answer that. Right. And, and, and you begin to wonder, you know, is, is it a culture that is increasingly antagonistic to Christianity? Is that the biggest danger we face? Or, or is it the, the global spread of, of Islam and, or secularism that we begin to see? I mean, how, how might you answer that? Now, Philip Ryken suggests uh, this answer. He says that the gravest danger may come from theologically informed Religiously active, morally conservative people whose hearts are far from God. Nothing is deadlier to the life of true godliness than, than spiritual hypocrisy. Okay? And whether you agree with that statement or, or not, uh, when we get into our passage here in a minute, you're going to see one thing is, is absolute for, sh- for certain. And that's that hypocrisy is an issue that's of great importance to our Lord. Um, and so let's, let's just go ahead and, and, and read. We're going to read the whole passage today, Luke 11, uh, 37. We're going all the way through uh, 44 today. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash, wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup uh, and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms those things that are, are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, oh, that we would never lose the wonder of having your holy word to read and to believe and to be changed by. Lord, you tell us it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces us to to our very core. And and Lord, today we, we may feel the pain as it seeks to call us out for any hypocrisy in our lives. Lord, teach us to trust your word as a sword not used to slay us today, but but rather it slices to heal us like a surgeon's scalpel. We ask that you enlighten our minds this morning as we seek to understand your word, to believe it, put it into practice in our life for the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we watch movies, when we read stories or hear stories, we tend to associate with some character in the story. Uh, Just out of curiosity, how many in this room do you think just associated themselves with the Pharisees? You're like, yeah, that's me. That, that's me right there. The go Pharisees. Oh, it did not work out well for the Pharisees. 
You know, it, it, we don't tend to, we, you can identify like the bad guy right off the bat. And we don't tend to go that direction. Uh, I'll say on my first reading, I, I didn't at all uh, associate myself with the Pharisees. But, but maybe, maybe I should, right? Maybe, maybe we all still have a little bit of Pharisee within us, right, from time to time. And, and let me remind you a little bit about who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees were uh, a Jewish sect, a group within the, the, the Jew, Jews, and um, they tended to be the, the, the Jewish religious leaders, right? They were the ones who uh, knew very well what we now call the Old Testament. They would have just called the Scriptures, but, but they're also a, a lot like uh, Roman Catholics today in, in that they, they gave oral traditions equal importance to God's word. They put them up on, on par with each other. Um, and, and in the wider community, though, the, the, the Pharisees had this, this reputation of, uh, of being holy, like truly had the reputation of being holy. You know, to, to use the phrase we used a few weeks ago on a dare, right, that the Pharisees had their poop in a group if anyone ever did. Uh, they had it put together. In fact, their, their Instagram feed would have been full of them doing all sorts of good works, right? There would have been uh, artsy photos of, uh, of them praying or giving alms and donations, right, to those in need. They would have had those, those pithy captions with, with just enough self-deprivation of, about their times of fasting so that you knew they were fasting, right, without bragging about it. And, and generally, people didn't see through them. Right. They were impressed by the Pharisees. You and I, because of the way we learn about them in the scripture, we we kind of have this wall up against them to begin with. But but most people saw them and just thought these are the most holy people in our community. They just are. And, and by this point in history, the, the Pharisees, they don't like Jesus. Right. At, at all. They see him as a threat for a number of reasons. And, and for reasons we don't know, though, one of the Pharisees invites Jesus, come over to my house. Let's have a meal. This was something people would do. It was a, a kindness, uh, I, I hope, on some level. And it's a, a great example, honestly, to us to see that there, our Lord actually accepts this invitation. And, and he goes to, to, to be with these people who are quite different with them, right? It, it's an example to us to, to make friendships, to, to build relationships with people who have different beliefs about God and ethics and all sorts of things that are completely unlike us. But if we're going to see Jesus as an example for that, let us also see Jesus's bold, boldness here to confront their views about God and ethics to also be an example for the way that we, we, we seek to engage with people. I'm not saying it needs to be the first thing you ever do with someone, but, but, but have that in mind long term. You know, in, in other words, here, here's what I'm saying. Let's, let's be involved in our community so, so that we're with people and we know people who are very unlike us, but Let's also begin learning how to move beyond conversations about weather and sports and those easy things, right? So that we can show true love and care and concern for them by asking deeper questions about what they think about God, what they think about uh, their spiritual life, the struggles they have in all different aspects of their life. Show actual love and care. And, and so then in our passage here before us, though, um, they're, they're going to eat, right? And, and the host that has gathered everyone together notices that there's Jesus and Jesus has not washed his hands, right? And our text says he is astonished, astonished and not the good kind of astonished, right? It's the astonished when you make that gross face like, what are you doing? What, why aren't you doing it? And the whole point is, is, is this Pharisee is actually condemning Jesus in his heart in, in this moment. And, and we might think this, right? I mean, how many of you are hearing this and you're thinking, well, yeah, that's gross, Jesus. You should wash your hands. What's wrong with you? Right? 
Uh, you know, and so before we go on, let me let me say this, kids. I don't want to find out from your mothers later on that last time she told you to go wash your hands. You're like, Mom, I'm being like Jesus, dirty hands, not washing my hands ever again. That, that's what uh, my daughter, when we read this last night, Sandy Piper said, I'm never washing my hands again. I'm like, you don't even know what this is about yet. <laughs> right. So um, so let's be real clear. Before you eat, after you go to the restroom, any other times you think your hands might be dirty, wash your hands, okay? This is not an example for you because not washing your hands before eating is gross. It just is, right? But it's not sinful. And Jesus has a very specific reason why in this moment he decides to do it, go the gross way and not wash his hands, right? He's bringing to light what's going on in the heart of this man, right? And, and his brothers, right? His Pharisee uh, friends of, of such. Because you see, the Pharisees weren't washing for hygienic reasons. No one even knew germs existed yet, right? So that's not why they're doing it. And what they're doing is they're following a rule, a rule that has been made up by the Pharisees. Now, it's true, the Old Testament law did call for those who were serving in the tabernacle or the temple to wash their hands before doing so. There was a ritual cleansing that they would go through for that. But, but the Pharisees have now legalistically required this law to be done every time you go to eat, right? And a number of other things. They, they've expanded, before, expanded it beyond what God actually commands them to do. And now, also understand this, it's not a bad thing for an individual to do this. This symbolic washing and cleansing, they, they certainly had freedom to do so. They, they certainly could. But somewhere along the way, the Pharisees had, had taken this, this law of God and then uh, had their own rule, right? And then elevated their rule up to the law of God of equal importance to the actual commandments. And so that now they're saying it's actually required of you. You must do this. You must. To not do so is scandalous. And that's where Jesus finds himself in this moment. So keep in mind, the, the Pharisees genuinely do care about cleanliness, right? Uh, it's a big deal to them because for them, cleanliness is not next to godliness. Cleanliness literally actually is godliness for them. So I wonder, you know, do, do, we, ever, do we ever do what the Pharisees have done here? Honestly, do we elevate some man-made idea whether well, some other person or some idea we've come up with ourselves, do we ever take it and elevate it to the level of God's word? Do we? Let me ask you this. You, do you get offended if a man doesn't remove his hat while he prays? Like it's required? You, you ever tell somebody you, you have to close your eyes when you pray? You must. You ever feel offended when you, you see someone coming to, to worship wearing something that you deem is just too casual for church? How about praying before a meal, right? You, you sit down at Taco Lucha with your friend uh, and, and you kind of you, you come back and you get to the table and she just starts eating, right? And you're sitting there thinking, well, what's going on? I, she didn't pray first. We haven't prayed. Can I eat my food? What am I supposed to do? I thought she was a Christian. Clearly, she's a heathen. She's just eating food, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, these are the kind of things that go through your mind. I mean, it's a good thing to pray before a meal. It is, right? Absolutely. It's, it's a way of acknowledging God's provision for us with a thankful heart to God. It's a great thing. You can teach your children this. It's a great thing to teach anyone. But is it commanded by God in his word that we must pray before a meal? It's not. A child of God has freedom to not pray before a meal. 
Or freedom to pray before every meal, every snack, everything. And here's the thing. You, you can have good biblical reasons for why you, you vote like you vote or why you, why you will or won't watch a PG-13 or, or why you have devotions first thing in the morning every single day. But, but let's be careful to distinguish between what, what is truly commanded by God in his word and, and what is a personal preference, right? Even if we have good biblical reasons for a biblical for a preference. You see, Jesus models for us here and in many other places what, what the church uh, that the point of the Reformation begins referring to as sola scriptura, right? That's Latin for, for scripture alone. And in other words, Jesus' conscience won't be bound by, by these man-made laws. They won't be. They'll be bound by, by the scriptures. And, and, and again, it's, it's okay that we have personal preferences, right? They, they, they tend to be some really good things for us individually and how we're going to walk with the Lord and, and, and have closeness in that way. But let's be very clear. Those, those preferences do not carry the same weight as God's word. And we can't call anyone else to do it as an absolute requirement. And in other words, let's only be offended by the things that God himself finds offensive. And how do we know that? From his word. The, the Pharisee, being so offended by Jesus here. This is, you know, not washing his hands. This, this is not a sign of some maturity in him. He probably thought it was. And it's only a sign of a self-righteousness that he's developed or, or been taught himself, taught by someone else. And so anyway, someone must have asked Jesus about the washing because he responds right to the to them very directly in a very abrasive way, a way that we probably wouldn't recommend any of you to do here in verse 39. Uh, and yet here's our Lord doing it right. And, and, and while it's a, a burn, it certainly is. Jesus is also pointing them back to the truth, telling them how to correct their ways. Listen to this. Jesus says, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? And so first of all, Jesus is not calling them fools simply because they're wrong, right? I don't want to hear us all every time someone's wrong. The movie's at three. No, it's 4.30, you fool, right? This is not going to become part of our vocabulary. Uh, you can kindly correct wrong, right? Even in some really significant things, but significant things. But, but Jesus is calling them fools here because they're not ignorant. They, these leaders know their hearts are greedy and wicked, and they continue to pretend they're not. They, they want people to see them in this way that, that is nowhere close to reality. And that's why this, this illustration he uses is so vivid. I mean, can, can you imagine if I invited you to a meal at my house and we begin to pull down the plates and they're so sparkly clean that they literally shine, right? They look beautiful on the outside, but, but then you get to your table and you look inside and it's got that nasty green, gray mold growing. I was in college once. Have it, all my dishes had that. Surely you know what this looks like. But you, you look in there and you see that. And then I show up with the coffee pot. Let me pour you some coffee, right? What, what are you going to do right then? That's gross. It's disgusting, right? That mug is not clean. No matter how sparkly clean the outside of that mug might have looked a moment before. And, and so you see the analogy here that some people, and, and let's consider ourselves here, not just some other people, right? But some people are only concerned with how they look to other people. 
Guys and, and girls with pornography addictions who are, are more afraid that someone might find out about it, about this, this thing in their life, than they are concerned about actually fighting it, and they are concerned about actually pursuing holiness or, or godliness in this area. Or, or, or maybe you, you gossip and trash talk about people, and, and instead of seeing, like, that's the problem, that's the sin I need to begin fighting, you just want to make sure you're content as long as they never find out I said these things about them. Then, then I'm good, right? As long as it never gets back to them. It, it's this idea of having just a, a great concern for our own reputation and, and little to no concern for an actual life of, of godliness. The, the prophet Isaiah Described the Pharisee in our text. He was actually describing someone else. But uh, the Pharisee in our text, he maybe is also describing the Pharisee within your or my heart. In Isaiah 29, 13, when, when he says this, he says, This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. It's a scary statement. And so then let me... Let me ask you what I've been asking myself all week regarding this. How, how big is, is the gap between your outer life that you present to your family and your friends and your brothers and sisters in the church and your coworkers? How, how big is the gap between that life and the inner life that you actually live? How do you feel about that gap? But brothers and sisters, we, we need to take to heart the, the truth that God cares as much about the internal condition of our heart as he does the external actions of our life. As though the Lord, uh, as the Lord rather said through Samuel, the prophet, right? In 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God desires the true devotion of, of both your body and your soul, your external behavior and your internal Reality. Uh, Jesus in verse 41 gives them some instruction then. He says, But give alms those things that are within. And, and behold, everything is clean for you. Alms are money, alms are, are food, things that somebody needs who, who can't afford them, the needy, right? And in a sense, this is really just a, a call to repentance that Jesus is giving here. Jesus is saying, Stop worrying about your reputation and, and instead turn to God and actually pursue Him, pursue godly, pursue godliness, pursue conformity to the Word of God, and, and the rest of it's going to follow after. Now, let me be real careful here because I know we're hearing this, and, and if we're not careful, we're going to hear it like somehow this is earning God's love or earning salvation, and that's not the case at all, right? It, you know, rather, it's, it's, you know, God does that for you. Faith is where we find salvation and forgiveness, but, but the love of God, right, because he loves us, is why we gratefully and with the desire to honor God, right, because he first loved us, that we want to do these things. That's part of that heart change that happens, that we, we actually want to obey the Lord. So don't, so don't just say you'll pray for people so they're going to think well of you, like, oh, man, he must pray a lot. Actually pray for the people you say you'll pray for. Don't, don't just refrain from TV and movies filled with sex scenes when, when you have you know, your, your Christian friends over, your friends over, your family around. And do that also when you're screaming things all by yourself. Let there be a consistency here. Do, do you just restrain your anger in the presence of others, right? So they'll think I, I'm not nuts. 
or you actually see that as something to be dealt with, to, to really get to the heart of that anger and deal with. But, you know, whatever secret sin you've concealed from those you live among, let's not be content to simply keep it under wraps. You know, let, it, let us bring it to light and in the power of the Holy Spirit, fight that. Right? And so then in verse 42, Jesus begins to drive home this point by pronouncing these three woes on the Pharisee, right? The, the word woe here, it's, it's not a, a threat like you will woe the day. That's not the right word anyway. It's rue, isn't it? Um, that's a spice, right? Anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's a sorrowful but bold emotional response that we're talking about here. It, it's the truth that God's judgment is upon them, and he's telling them that. It's a big deal. And so each woe is like he's saying, can't, can't you see? God's judgment is upon you, and, and here's why it's upon you. And that's what he follows with. And so in verse 42, Jesus says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Jesus is here calling them out for this form of hypocrisy in their life. They, they, they do actually care about tithing. That's, that's real, right? They, and the Old Testament taught that they should give a tithe, meaning 10% of their harvest or their income or whatever it might be. But, but the tithe was designed to be this, this joyful response of thankfulness to the Lord, not a, a burden that felt like God was, was robbing them of 10%, right? But a way of saying, thank you, God, for all that you've given me to, to steward. All this, which is yours anyway. And, and, but they've again applied it in this very specific, strange way. Like it, it, it'd be like, and I don't want to see this happen, but if, if, if the offering plates go around next week and we find out there's like a little bit of cilantro, right? Because one of you made fresh salsa last week from, that you bought at Dylan's, right? You know, it, it's all this stuff. And we start seeing you bring these tiny little bits in here of all these bizarre things. 10% of it. Here's, you know, 10% of my construction paper. 10% of my glue, it dried, sorry. Things like that. And, and, and so they bring it to the temple, all these tiny bits of herbs. Because why? Because everyone can see. Look at them. They brought this. Man, these guys are pretty serious. You know, so people look at them and they think, oh, man, I, I forgot to tithe my mint. This guy is so much more holier than I am. And again, it's, it's about their reputation of, of being godly people. But... Meanwhile, they don't care about justice for fellow man. They don't care about love of God, both of which God calls his people to, to, to do and to care about. Micah 6 eight, one of the more well-known statements on this, but it says, uh, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The, the Ten Commandments, right? They're, they're all about how to love God well and, and how to do justice to our fellow men and women on the planet. And, and so Jesus then woes them, right, for, for not loving their neighbors and, and not loving God. Does Jesus also condemn you and I for the same? That's something for us to consider our, our own lives, right? Would, would I be woed by my Lord? Do, do I care about what Scripture calls justice? Do I care about caring for widows and helping those in need and caring for the poor and defending those who can't defend themselves. Now, now, notice Jesus doesn't condemn their spice tithing, though, does he? He says, these you ought to have done, 
without neglecting the, the others. And in other words, he's saying it's, it's good to pursue, pursue obedience to the Lord in great details. That's, that's good. But, but not if that means you're going to neglect other things, right? God, God calls us to, to care about. The, the, the issues that uh, no one may ever witness, right? Things that you don't get to be praised for your holiness for doing. Care about those things as well if the Lord has called us to it. See, this is hypocrisy. Or this yeah, and if we're not honest, most of us, you know, are going to struggle with this. We, if we are honest, most of us are going to struggle with this. We, we, we want to look holy. You do, don't you? You, you want people to think you're a, you're a good person. There, there is an intriguing story from the Second World War. It actually came up during a uh, dinner this week at our house. One of our kids mentioned it. Uh, the, the Allied forces actually created a counterfeit army. I know it sounds insane, but... Uh, in order to deceive the, deceive the Germans into thinking that we were stronger than we actually were, the Allies actually hired uh, artists and designers to create a, a fake army. And an army that would look just real enough, right, from a distance to anyone snooping around from a distance or blurry photos that were taken back then from, from, from planes. And, and all the while, though, they, they, they built these planes that were no more than just these wooden shells that looked like planes from a distance. And they built these tanks that were actually inflated rubber and, and painted to look like uh, they were actually tanks, and, and they were meant just to give this impression that, wow, they have this massive army, let's be fearful, right? All without costing anything or very little. Uh, and the best part is that it actually worked. The, the Germans believed it. They were deceived, which had this profound effect on the outcome of the war. And, and there is this, this temptation in this for, for us to consider, right, that, that, that applies to each and every one of us. It's, it's the temptation to, to look righteous, to look holy to others. Right from a, keep them at a distance enough that that it seems that way, while still being perfectly content with with unrighteousness and unholiness in our private life. Now this is not about actually being perfect, right? But why why pretend? I think we are we are we're tempted to be men and women who from a distance appear. Holy, while in reality, we're, we're just the spiritual equivalent of an inflated tank. And this is not good. It's not good because one thing uh, very clear that God reveals about himself throughout the scripture, his revelation, right, is that he delights in the holiness and in the sanctification and in the work of the Holy Spirit and his people. But he, he loathes, he, he hates hypocrisy. Let's look at verse 43 then where we, we see Jesus' second woe, right? He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Uh, again, this is all about their reputation, right? This, this, this woe is about pride and self-exaltation. You know, and, and this was an issue for the Pharisees. It was an issue for, the, for Christians in just about every generation. One of the most saddest of them that comes to mind is uh, during the, the colonial churches, right? They, they had these pews with doors on them. Can you imagine? And it was, it was your pew. You could lock it and make sure no one could sit there if you wanted to. It's bizarre. Uh, but the idea was the further, further front to the front, you know, the, the more prestigious you are, the, the wealthier, uh, the greater reputation that, that you might have had, right, to, to be able to do that. And, and the point was everyone sees you at the front, right? Now, don't be afraid of sitting in the front in here. I don't want to find out everyone goes to the back next week. It didn't make any holy. We've tried to talk our kids to going in the back, but they say they get distracted back there. Um, I, I'm not entertaining enough. Just kidding. Um, 
right? So, so, so that's not what's going on here, but that's what was going on there. And, and that's the way it worked in the Jewish Sabbath gatherings, right? And the, when they would get together, the, the Pharisees wanted the best seats because they wanted everyone to see, oh, you know, look at Stucky up there. He must be incredibly holy. Um, likewise, this greeting statement, right? They had much more complex greetings than we have. Ours is what? Hi. Not a lot to that. Theirs were incredibly complex. Uh, a bit like Michael Scott, you know, you are a gentleman and a scholar, right? Or, or it often involved titles and compliments of all sorts of stuff when, when you'd greet some prestigious people. Uh, in our setting, it might go something like this. Sorry, John, uh, you're my example here. Greetings, Reverend John Dunning, most noble and benevolent Packer fan, most holy. Things of that nature would, would be the way these, these, these greetings go. It's, it's the desire to, to have, have to be seen, right? We can understand this today because it's the idea of I want to be seen as a, a mover and a shaker and an important person within the community I live in, and for people to just be impressed by who I am. And it can be an overwhelming longing, a, a longing for the, for the praise of men and women uh, that comes from a heart that's certainly impressed with self. And, and Jesus condemns the sin of pride. And then in verse 44, and Jesus says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. We live right around the corner from Sunset Cemetery. We go through it all the time. Uh, when we first moved here, I learned that uh, Earl Woods, Tiger Woods' father, uh, when he died, was buried in the cemetery. And so I began to... Uh, take walks over there, and I'd walk back and forth looking for Earl Wood's grave. You know, it has to be in here somewhere. And when I could not find it, I eventually learned um, that it is in there, but it's an unmarked grave. There's nothing to tell you where it is. And, uh, you know, I, I spent all that time looking for it. And, and here's the reason it was done. Tiger Woods had it done because he didn't want it to become a, a tourist attraction of sorts. And so he knows where it is and a few other people, but it's generally not common knowledge. But, you know, for the Jews, unmarked graves weren't done for that reason. It was uh, they were just forgotten. Right. But but here's the problem. The unmarked graves became a great threat to them for their cleanliness, ceremonially speaking. Right. Because in, in, in Numbers 19:16, the, the ceremonial law states this. It says, whoever touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. Right. And so it goes on then in that section, it goes on to tell them how, how you could become clean again, right? There's something needs to be done outside by someone. And in the history of redemption, the, the reason we see all this weird uncleanliness and such is that it's demonstrating the spiritual truth that we are all unclean. And if we're to be made clean, right, to be made righteously, ceremonially clean, we, we must be made, made so by something outside of us, someone outside of us. In other words, it's this reminder throughout the history of redemption that, that's just reiterating we have a need for a savior, that's why it's there. But here, though, the idea is that if a person walks on an unmarked grave, they would become unclean and have no idea. Didn't even know what happened. And he's comparing, comparing the Pharisees to that, right? By, by calling the Pharisees unmarked graves, he's saying, not, not only are you defiled yourself, right? It's not a compliment to be called a grave. But you are defiling others who follow you and they have no idea. That's what you're doing. So listen, our, 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 our hypocrisy, and, and let's be honest, we all have it to some degree. Our hypocrisy, hypocrisy actually affects others in a major way. I mean, how many people have grown up discouraged in the faith of their parents because of hypocrisy they see? 
I know I, I've shared this before, but I came to faith in a public high school and I began college in a, in a state school. Um, and I'd seen hypocrisy before, but never on the level I saw it when I spent one semester uh, studying in a place called East Texas Baptist University. Uh, I'm not condemning the whole place. Uh, but, but, but one of the things I saw that I'd never seen before were these things. There's a, you know, a guy engaged in underage drinking and sexual sin on the weekend. Uh, and then on the following Tuesday at chapel, he's given, a, given an award for being an amazing preacher. It was the first time in, in, in my life, right, because I came to faith later in, in life, too. It was the first time I'd ever been in an environment where, where it, was, it was to someone's benefit to pretend to be some holy Christian, even if they had zero interest in actually pursuing God, right? Um, and nothing was more discouraging to me in those years and those early years of my faith than to look and see uh, self-professed Christians pretending uh, in the hope of just receiving praise from others. That was the whole point of it. That was all it was going to accomplish in their life. J.C. Ryle speaks to this saying, whatever we are as Christians, let us be real. Let us be genuine. Let us be sincere. Okay, we'll, we'll finish up here now. Then the, the, the hypocrite and this is help us identify where we are, right? I'm not saying this as a huge insult, but an identifier. The, the hypocrite is always anxiously hoping that no one will discover what his heart or her heart is really like. And, and so then here, here's the deal. What, what the Pharisees need and what we need, if we're to deal with, with our heart level hypocrisy, right, it is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to change us. To, to deep down from the inside out to cleanse our body and our souls with, with the blood of his sacrifice. And I'll say this, if, if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling convicted for hypocrisy that has come to mind in your life right now, that's good. Real good. That, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life that, that you can be encouraged by. If you feel that, lean into that and, and pray, right? Ask God to, to take away the evil desire for perceived godliness and replaced it with, with a holy desire for, for genuine godliness, to truly seek the Lord in his ways. Philip Ryken says, this is what the gospel does. It gives you true spiritual life so that you are no longer dead inside, but wonderfully, vitally alive. It delivers you from the hypocrisy of external religiosity and pretentious piety so that you can live with a clean, pure heart for the Lord Jesus. I just want to close with a very short quote. It's actually a prayer of John Calvin's. And, he, and, he, and then we'll pray ourselves. He says this. It's a prayer. I offer you my heart, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Lord, would you work in our hearts? We're not asking to be perfect, Lord, but we're asking you to, to work in our hearts. That you would show us where we built walls from even those closest to us. And that, that we would truly seek you. Lord, would you reveal where, where changes need to be made? And, oh, Holy Spirit, would you, would you be the power of both conviction and change for the glory of God and for the, for the good of our souls, for the good of our lives, for the good of our, our neighbors, our families, our friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.